October is here. Bring on the cooler weather and the crisp, clear skies that October is known for. In this episode, we'll explore the planets and we'll talk about an annular eclipse that will be visible from parts of Texas to parts of Oregon and will be a partial eclipse for the rest of the U.S. We'll discuss a meteor shower and finally, we'll take a tour of some of the best examples of deep sky objects, particularly binocular deep sky objects visible in the autumn skies. Now, speaking of deep sky objects, from now on, we'll be posting a document that you can download that lists all the objects for the month and has descriptions, directions to find the object, and links to online finder charts for each object. Hopefully, you'll find this a helpful tool when you're planning and observing. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and comment. You know the routine. If you're listening on audio, please leave us a nice review on your podcast platform. We're going to be holding a contest. Once we get to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, and we are growing quickly, I'll be doing a drawing for anyone that comments and shares about an upcoming video. The winner of the drawing will win a metal print of the North American and Pelican Nebulae taken by me. So stay tuned as we'll be announcing the details as we get closer to reaching that goal. So if you'd like to help support the Astro Guy podcast and YouTube channel, you could buy us a cup of coffee. It's only $5 US. Any money collected will be used to maintain and update the equipment that's used to make these episodes. Anything beyond that will be used to purchase Astro Gear that we'll test and use on the channel. So if you enjoy what you're doing, please consider buying us a cup of coffee. The link to do so is in the show notes. Remember, spread the word. Tell your interested friends and family about the channel and please ask them to subscribe. Thanks. All right, enough blabbering from me. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert, I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum, seize the night. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Zool. Mercury makes a rather poor apparition at the start of October. You'll likely need binoculars to pick out the glow low on the eastern horizon. You can use bright Venus and Regulus to help you locate it. Mercury is bright at magnitude minus one, but at about 6.10 a.m., it will only be about five degrees above the horizon, so the brightening sky is going to make it difficult to spot. Venus, on the other hand, is easy to spot in the morning skies this month. At the start of October, Venus rises at 3.18 in the morning, giving observers about two hours of easy viewing of Venus. Venus spends all month long in Leo, and it shines brilliantly at magnitude minus 4.5. On the 1st, Venus will show a 37% illuminated crescent phase, and it spans about 31 arc seconds in diameter. By the end of the month, Venus rises around 3.30 a.m., and it will be about 55% illuminated, and will have shrunk to about 22 arc seconds in diameter. On the morning of October 10th, 
the 16% illuminated waning crescent moon will be about 6 degrees to the left of Venus. First magnitude Regulus lies between the pair. It should make for a beautiful sight. Mars is still low in the west at sunset at the start of the month, but at magnitude 1.5, it'll be nearly impossible to pick it out of the evening twilight glow. But Mars will be putting on a nice show next year, so stick around for that. Jupiter is ruling the evening skies this month. It reaches opposition on November 2nd, so it's in the sky nearly all night this month. The best views of Jupiter will be the couple hours before and after midnight this month. Jupiter is very bright at magnitude minus 2.8. The planet spans about 47 arc seconds in diameter, and it's a joy to observe in a telescope. You can see Jupiter in binoculars, where it will appear as a bright bloated star. You can even see the four Galilean moons with binoculars. But in a telescope, you can see several dark bands of gas. And if you time it right, you can catch the great red spot. You can see the Galilean moon's transit or cause eclipses on Jupiter. There's so much to see and Jupiter is always changing. That's why it's my favorite planet to observe. It's just so dynamic. On October 1st, the moon will come within two and a half degrees from Jupiter. This will look amazing at low power or in binoculars. The nearly full moon will make a similar pass on the evening of the 28th, so you'll want to spot that one as well. As October opens, Saturn will be about 20 degrees above the southeastern horizon as darkness falls. By Halloween, Saturn will be about 30 degrees above the south-southeastern horizon. Saturn spends all month in Aquarius and shines at magnitude 0.6 on the 1st and fades slightly to magnitude 0.74 by the end of October. In binoculars, Saturn looks like an oblong star, but in a telescope you can easily make out the famous rings. Because Saturn is relatively low, the effects of our atmosphere will impact how Saturn looks in a telescope. Saturn will look best on nights when the atmospheric seeing is good or better. You can check the seeing conditions for your area on the clear sky clock. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. If the seeing is good, try to spot the gap in the rings known as Cassini's division. On October 23rd, the nine-day-old moon will be about seven degrees to the right and below Saturn, making for a nice sight in the sky. On the 24th, the moon will be to the left of Saturn and a bit further away, about 8 degrees from the ringed planet. Uranus spends all month in Aries and is faint at magnitude 5.7. You can spot it pretty easily in binoculars, but it's best seen in a telescope. However, it's still well-placed about halfway between the Pleiades and Jupiter, which makes it pretty easy to locate. In a telescope, Uranus only spans about 2.5 arc seconds, so you'll want to boost the magnification to try to make out the disk of the planet. Neptune spends all month in Pisces. It's faint at magnitude 7.7 and spans a little more than two arc seconds across. In a telescope, you should be able to see the bluish color of the planet. You can use the fifth magnitude star, 20 Piscium, to help you find Neptune. The solar system highlight for October will definitely be the annular eclipse that takes place on October 14th. The path of annularity runs from Texas to Oregon. Those in the path will experience a ring of fire eclipse, 
while annular eclipses are rare, they're not as exciting as a total eclipse. But if you're on the path of annularity, you should be in for a great show. Even if you're not on the path, the entire continental U.S., Alaska, and most of Canada will still be able to observe a partial solar eclipse. In September, we posted an eclipse special, which goes into the specifics for this eclipse and explains eclipses in general. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Please check it out. To get exact timings for your location, visit timeanddate.com. That's in the show notes as well. I need to stress that you must exercise extreme caution whenever you observe the sun. Never look directly at the sun without proper protection. And only use approved solar filters. You can cause permanent damage to your eyes if you don't exercise safety. Now, once again, we covered this in the eclipse special that we put out in September. So please refer to that. October also has a decent meteor shower that can be observed, and the moon won't really interfere with them. The Orionid meteor shower peaks on the morning of the 22nd. The meteors radiate from a point north of Betelgeuse, the bright red star marking Orion's shoulder. The best times to catch the Orionids is between midnight and morning twilight. You'll want to slowly scan the skies about 30 to 40 degrees from the radiant. Under very dark skies, you can expect to see up to 20 meteors per hour. As with any meteor shower, you don't need any special equipment, just your eyes. You'll want to bring a chair or a blanket to sit on, dress warmly, in layers, and have some coffee or water with you to keep hydrated. You can always bring along binoculars to check out some other wonders of our skies while waiting for the radiant to be high enough. Speaking of binocular wonders, this month we're going to explore some of the best objects visible in the autumn skies as seen through binoculars. Binoculars can be a great tool to help you learn your way around the sky. Often, many of the stars that we see on charts and maps can be too faint to be seen with the naked eye or are just too difficult because of light pollution. Binoculars will help, and the more that you use them, the more acclimated you'll be to learning your way around the skies. Let's get to our objects. While not always in the sky, the first object isn't just limited to autumn. In fact, it's not even a deep sky object. You can observe it easily from the darkest of skies to the most light-polluted cities on the planet. I'm referring to the moon, of course. Even through 7x35 binoculars, you can see craters and mountains on the lunar surface. Some of my favorite views of the moon were seen through 15x70 binoculars. With them, the moon doesn't fill the field, but at a magnification of 15 power, you can see lots of great details on the moon. So if the moon's out, grab your binoculars and give it a look. So while the moon is fun to observe, it's not a deep sky object. So what are the best deep sky objects that you can observe with binoculars in the fall? This month we'll explore 10 DSOs that you can enjoy with just binoculars in the northern autumn skies. The list is in order of right ascension, so the first ones are best seen just after dark, while the later ones are best seen later in the evening. I have personally observed all of these using either 7x50s or 15x70s from where I live, less than 20 miles from New York City. So if I can see them, you should be able to as well. Our first deep sky object for this month's tour is the Great Globular Cluster in Hercules, M13. 
In 7x50s, M13 looks like a fuzzy ball light, appearing about half the size of the moon. Larger binoculars will reveal several of the member stars within the cluster. M13 can be spotted without any optical aid from very dark skies, but even from moderately light-polluted locations, it's an easy target in binoculars. M13 is made up of several hundred thousand stars and glows at magnitude 5.7, spanning 16 arc minutes in diameter. Locating M13 is pretty easy. You can make a line from Eta Herculi to Zeta Herculi. M13 is about one-third of the way from Eta along that line. Our next object is well-placed as darkness falls, and to me, I think it looks amazing in binoculars. Let's explore the wild duck cluster, M11, in Scutum. This cluster is bright at magnitude 5.7 and spans about 10 arc minutes, or about a third of the size of the full moon. In binoculars, you can make out several of the cluster's brighter members, forming a V pattern, which gives the cluster its name. As open clusters go, this is a dense one. It contains more than 870 stars. It's pretty easy to locate as well. Look halfway between the top of the teapot to Altair. Now look for four stars in a hook-shaped asterism. M11 is at the bottom of that hook. We spoke about this next object in the What's Up in September 2023 Skies episode, but it's a great autumn object and it's perfect for binoculars. You can even see it with your naked eye under very dark skies. It's known as Brachy's Cluster, or the Coat Hanger, officially cataloged as Colander 399. Although it used to be considered an open star cluster, recent studies have shown that its stars aren't actually bound by gravity. Instead, it's classified as an asterism, which is a smaller star grouping within a constellation. The Coat Hanger gets its name because it looks like an actual coat hanger. Imagine four stars forming a hook while six other stars create the horizontal bar where you'd hang your coat. It's about one degree across and shines at a magnitude of 3.6, making it relatively bright. Finding the coat hanger is pretty straightforward. Start by locating Sagitta, the arrow constellation, and identify the two stars that make up the tail end of the arrow. If you draw a line through those stars, it will point north and slightly east. Follow this line for about two and a half degrees, then shift your gaze about two degrees to the east, and you'll easily spot this distinctive star formation in the night sky. There is one galaxy besides the Milky Way that is easy to see with the naked eye, and it's pretty easy to see in binoculars as well. I'm referring to the Andromeda Galaxy, M31. This galaxy is bright at magnitude 3.4, but it's big spanning more than three degrees wide, meaning that the moon could span it nearly six times. M31 is about two and a half million light years away from us. From very dark skies, M31 can be seen with the naked eye, making it the furthest thing that can be seen with the naked eye. But binoculars are going to make it much easier to spot. Because it's so large, the fainter outer spiral arms are difficult to see in binoculars, unless you're under very dark skies, but the bright inner core is pretty easy to spot. Locating M31 is easy as well. Start at the Great Square of Pegasus. We'll start at the star Alpharats, the northernmost of the stars making up the Great Square. 
from Alpharads, sweep eastward, and you'll see a third magnitude star, and then a second magnitude star, Mirac. From Mirac, sweep northwest, and you'll see a third magnitude star, and then a fourth magnitude star. The core of the galaxy is one degree east of that fourth magnitude star. The next object is one of my favorites, and I think that it has a lot of character. Let's take a look at NGC 457, the OWL, or the ET cluster. Honestly, to me, it does look like ET. In binoculars, the eyes will be easy to spot, but dark skies, being dark adapted, and having patience will reveal several of the fainter stars in this cluster. NGC 457 glows at magnitude 6.4, and has about 13 arc minutes in diameter. Finding it is a breeze. Start at Cassiopeia. Now imagine the W shape of it. The two stars that make up the left side of the W are Segen at the top of the W and Rukba. From Rukba, sweep south two degrees, then west half a degree, and you'll have the cluster in your field of view. Our next object can be a bit of a challenge. It's a large galaxy, but its surface brightness is very low. So this object is best seen away from artificial light. The darker the skies, the better. That being said, I've seen it in 7x50s from my yard, so it's definitely within reach if you know what you're looking for. The object is M33 in Triangulum. Its magnitude is listed at 5.73, which is very bright for a galaxy. However, it's large, about one degree by three quarters of a degree in size. So imagine taking the light from a magnitude 5.73 star and spreading it out to be the size of M33. It would be very faint. But if you use averted vision, you can spot the core and even see the beginnings of spiral arms. I've observed M33 from a dark sky site in Vermont with 7x50s, and the spiral shape was visible with direct vision. It wasn't bright, but it was visible. So be patient and you'll be able to see it. Finding it is really easy. We'll start at the star Alpharats. We talked about that with M31. From Alpharats, sweep eastward, and you'll see a third magnitude star, and then a second magnitude star. Sound familiar? It does. But here's where it gets different. At that second magnitude star, Mirac, sweep five degrees south, and you'll spot a fifth and then a fourth magnitude star. Now sweep five degrees east, and you should be looking right at M33. Please try to spot it and let us know how you did. Our next object is much easier to see. It is the famous double cluster in Perseus. This one is big, bright, and pretty. Located at a distance of about 7,500 light years from us are two gorgeous open clusters, each containing more than 300 stars and their cores are only half a degree apart. The double cluster is comprised of NGC 869 and NGC 884. NGC 869 is slightly brighter at magnitude 3.7, while NGC 884 is listed at magnitude 3.8. You can spend hours observing this pair. As with most DSOs, the longer you look, the more faint details that you'll begin to notice. Besides seeing more of the fainter members, you'll enjoy the color contrast of the member stars. There are lots of blue stars within them, 
and seeing the different shades of blue mixed in with a few yellow, red, and white stars is one of nature's most beautiful sights. To find the double cluster, imagine a line from Mirfak, the brightest star in Perseus, to Rukba. About one-third of that distance away from Rukba is where you'll find the double cluster. Now, once you're done with the double cluster, you'll notice a trail of 6th and 7th magnitude stars leading to the north of the double cluster for about a degree. Continue north another half a degree, and you'll notice several fainter stars forming what looks like a large stick figure of a person. This is stock 2. It is sometimes called the muscle man cluster, as it does resemble a bodybuilder flexing his muscles. This is not a well-known object, but it's one that I always look at when I'm binocular observing in that part of the sky. Stock 2 is listed at magnitude 4.4 and nearly 1.5 degrees in size. With 50 millimeter binoculars, you should be able to see dozens of member stars between 9th and 10th magnitude. While Stock 2 might seem bigger than the double cluster, it is actually quite a bit smaller, at only 18 light years wide, less than a third of the size of either member of the double cluster. It's also much closer to us just 1,050 light years away, about seven times closer than the double cluster. This is another fun cluster to observe, and I do hope that you'll enjoy it. Our next object is M45, the Pleiades star cluster. This is one of the brightest deep sky objects. It's an easy naked eye object, even from moderately light polluted skies. It's the brightest object in the Messier catalog at magnitude 1.6, as well as the closest Messier object to Earth. And it's also one of the closest deep sky objects to us at a distance of only 444 light years. The cluster is easy to spot as the brightest six or seven stars can be seen in an area more than one and a half degrees wide. With binoculars, you should see a couple of dozen blue stars making up the cluster. M45 will be high enough for good viewing later in the evening, but it's worth the wait. For all of October, the Pleiades will be between 15 and 20 degrees east-northeast of Jupiter. Once you find it, you'll always be able to locate it. Our last object is relatively new, first being announced in Sky and Telescope magazine by the late Walter Scott Houston in 1980. Scotty, as he was known, received a letter from a Franciscan friar named Father Lucian Kemble, who had a passion for amateur astronomy as well. In the letter, he described, and I quote, a beautiful cascade of faint stars tumbling from the northwest down to the open cluster NGC 1502. He also wrote that he discovered it with 7 by 35 binoculars. He was so impressed by the letter that he wrote of a new object, Kemble 1, which he named Kemble's Cascade. The name stuck. Kemble's Cascade is an asterism that spans more than three degrees of sky. It's made up of more than 20 stars that are in a nearly straight line. The stars are all between 5th and 10th magnitude and are quite colorful. The 7th magnitude NGC 1502, a compact open cluster, is visible at the eastern end of the Cascade. To find Kemble's Cascade, start at Mirfak in Perseus. Sweep 12 degrees north and then 6 degrees east and you should spot Kemble 1. I do hope that you'll go out and find and enjoy these objects, and that they become binocular favorites of yours as well.
Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, please email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a text or voicemail at 973-404-0380. If you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy Podcast group on Facebook. You'll find other members, videos, blogs, and lots of other useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, the Astro Guy Podcast, for past episodes and other surprises. Please subscribe. Please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform. It helps us to get new listeners. Thank you again for listening, and may your skies be clear. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night.